welcome to Printing, the first Filipino true crime, creepy history, and all things freaky podcast. Each week, we deliver the most mesmerizing and scariest true stories that happened in the Philippines. Given how small the Philippines is, who knows, maybe it happened in your small town. Now here's your host, I'm Anna. And I'm Anton. And here's the second episode. The Chong murder case was a trial regarding an incident on July 16, 1997 in Cebu, the Philippines, in which sisters Mary Joy and Jacqueline Chong were kidnapped, raped, and murdered. Francisco Juan Paco Laranaga, a man of dual Filipino and Spanish citizenship, was along with six others convicted of murder and sentenced to death by lethal injection on February 3, 2004. According to the prosecutors, at 10 p.m. on July 16, 1997, Laranaga and six other defendants kidnapped the Chong sisters near a mall on the island of Cebu in the Philippines, raped them, and then threw one of the sisters into a ravine. The other sister was never found. So there was only one body found? Yeah, only one body, which was strange because there were two siblings that were kidnapped. Yeah, that is strange. But wasn't capital punishment abolished in the Philippines? Supposedly, yes. Okay, maybe this was before it was abolished then. Also on a side note guys, if you're wondering what that noise is, that's our dog Koda drinking water. (laughs) Let's enjoy this moment. (laughs) We worked out before uh, doing the podcast, so she's really thirsty. <laughs> okay, let's continue. So the main suspect was a dual citizen, is that yes. right? Yes, okay. uh, named Francisco Juan Laranaga. That name's gonna be very apparent on this episode. The Chong sisters were last seen at Ayala Center, Cebu, on the night of July 16, 1997. Witnesses stated under oath that they saw Paco and another man talking to the Chongs at the west entry of the commercial establishment. On the other hand, Paco's alibi placed him in Quezon City that night, and 35 witnesses, including Laranaga's teachers and classmates at the Center of Culinary Arts, CCA, in Quezon City, testified under oath that he was in Quezon City, when the crime is said to have taken place in Cebu. Strange. Weird. Attendance records show that he attended class on the 16th and then took his midterm eg- midterms exam at the Center for Culinary Arts on the 17th. The court noticed, however, that his memory on what classes he took that day did not align with his instructor's testimonies. Rowena Bautista, an instructor and chef at the Culinary Center, said Laranaga was in school from 8 a.m. to 11.30 a.m and saw him again at about 6.30 p.m. on July 16. The school's registrar, Caroline Calleja, said she proctored the two-hour exam where Laranaga was present from 1.30. Laranaga attended his second round of midterm exams on July 17, commencing at 8 a.m. Only then did Laranaga leave for Cebu in the late afternoon of July 17. His friends also swore that they were there with him that night as they hung out in R&R restaurant along Katipunan Avenue, Quezon City. They even took photos together 
these photos were shown as evidence. The prosecutor later on dismissed these photos, suggesting that the photos were manipulated because in one photo, Paco wasn't looking at the camera and that he was sitting in a chair that had a different color. <laughs> the logbook from his condominium records show him arriving home at 10.15 p.m., which the security guard on duty attested to. However, this entry was written on the uppermost portion of the logbook and sandwiched between two entries recorded at 10.05. It was as if the entry was written then later on according to the and bank decision. Weird. Yeah, why, why were they pushing so hard for Paco to be guilty? So yeah. many eyewitnesses. Yeah, but it is kind of weird that he didn't know the lessons he had on that day. That's kind of... Ah, but I gotta hand it to him. I mean, like, you're getting stressed out for a couple of murders that you're being accused for, and then you just came out of a really intense midterm session and, and culinary arts. So, I mean, like, that, it, that comes with a bit of fatigue. Yeah, I guess so. It's hard for me to remember last week's episode. Yeah, I barely remember what I ate yesterday. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I wonder what Paco's going through. CCA is right across Atenea, right? Mm -hmm. Katipunan. Sure. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's along Katipunan. You should know. That's your past alma mater. And there were so many eyewitnesses. 35? Mm -hmm. Even 35 the teachers. People. Yeah, so, I mean, you can't really... Uh, uh, organize that uh, just out of the blue and I doubt any of those people especially the the, prof the professors I doubt that they get anything from just telling the truth so I mean and what's your opinion on the Photoshop defense? I have to say 1997 Photoshop isn't as good as it is today yeah so it would be glaringly obvious if you photoshopped yeah, something I have to say and he was just going by that he wasn't looking at the camera so we have to see the pictures if we are to judge did, did, did we get the pictures? no I don't think it was ever released okay but it's something to mull over Prosecution's attack focused on the fact that Paco couldn't prove that he wasn't in Cebu the same nights. They claimed that the travel time from Manila to Cebu via plane just takes an hour. That's actually faster than the traffic in Manila. <laughs> there were four flights going to Cebu from Manila that night, flight records showed. There were also regular flights going back to Manila the next day. The defense wanted proof. Where are the records showing that Paco flew? Even if he used a private plane, there must be a record somewhere. Even then, did he really have enough time to fly to Cebu, rape and murder the girls, and then fly back to Manila to take his test the next day? These questions fell on deaf ears. Airline and airport personnel also came to court with their flight records, indicating that Laranyaga did not take any flight on July 16, 1997. Nor was he on board any chartered aircraft that landed in or departed from Cebu during the relevant dates, except the 5 p.m. PAL flight on July 17, 1997, from Manila to Cebu. Paco did fly to Cebu, but it was on the afternoon of the 17th. Was he just flying back and forth this entire time? So I just found the pictures. Oh, you did? Yeah. Oh, awesome. So we're going to be putting that on our show notes. I already marked the time. 
Sige. Oh my god. This is not Photoshop. I'm sorry, but this does not look Photoshop. He's the guy not looking at the camera. Yeah, the one in the black chair. Oh, poor guy. That is not Photoshop. Yeah, it's too bright. It's too good. Mm. It's too good to be Photoshopped. And here's the other one. Okay. Here at the back. It's not, it's not Photoshop. It's the, not especially Photoshop. in the first one because the flash that's going on, it's too hard to match. Can you zoom? No, that's it. Can it's you enhance? No, it's a bad. And can you zoom again? <laughs> so, uh, as somebody who works in the industry, I have to say that it's not Photoshop. It's too hard to. Yeah, it's not. It's too hard to match the skin tones to to exactly to look like it wasn't in the photo. So that thing is pretty clear. That's yeah. It wasn't photoshopped. Okay, uh, if you guys are interested in looking at the photos and giving us your take on this case or in that photo, uh, we'll be leaving the link to the, the said photo on our show notes. You guys can check that out. And if you guys are interested, you can leave us a little voice note on anchor.fm. That's where we post our website. That's where everything is. And we will play your voice message or your voice notes at the end of the show next week. So hit us up there. So even airline employees testified that Paco wasn't in Cebu, wasn't in Cebu on that night. Yes. Even if he did have a chartered plane, which I doubt, why would he fly back and forth? Just to commit a murder. Just to commit a murder and yeah. then just go back to take his test. And then I don't see the motive behind all of this as well. I mean, if there was he, i don't think i don't see what he could get out of from kidnapping the girls going back and forth just nothing that he can get from this so i mean it doesn't get as solid as that having ex extra witnesses like these professional people from the airlines saying yes that he didn't take our plane yeah and i'm guessing these people are just being practically honest so on september 15 1997, four men in plain clothes, armed and claiming to be policemen, went to Paco's school. They wanted to take him to Camp Krame. According to Paco's sister, Mimi, who rushed to the scene, the men had expired police IDs and had no warrant. It was only then that they also found out that Paco was being investigated related to the Chong case. At that time, they even went to the registrar's office, which produced attendance records of Paco during the said dates. The men released Paco on condition that he would go to Cebu the next day for questioning. Paco confessed that he considered fleeing the country then. He could have easily gone to Spain or the US where his dad and brother were living. Instead, he remained in the Philippines so that he could clear his name. In Cebu, Paco was rounded up with six other men Josman Aznar, Rowan Adlawan, alias Wesley, Albert Cao, alias Alan Pahak, Ariel Balansag, James Anthony Uy, alias Wang Wang, and James Andrew Uy, alias MM, who were also convicted of participating in the crime. They were dubbed the Chong Seven by the media. According to Paco, he only knew Josman and Rowan. He also insisted that he wasn't acquainted with the Chong sisters, despite allegations from the Chong family that Paco 
was one of Mary Joy's suitors. Despite these claims and the lack of hard evidence tying, tying the boys to the crime, the trial commenced. Thank you for joining us this week on Praneng Podcast. Make sure you visit our website, anchor.fm, where you can subscribe to the show in Spotify or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on anchor.fm or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Fishy? Who sent those men? I doubt it was really police if they had expired IDs and no warrant. I wonder why they seemed to think Paco was really guilty. I don't know. It's so weird. Like, they're very persistent in taking Paco back to Cebu. Even though they didn't really have enough hard evidence to prove that he was in Cebu at the time of the murder. If there even was a murder, I mean, there was only one body found. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So could be alive still. And also, on a side note, I just want to say how scary it is and how realistic it is here in the Philippines that people can just pose as policemen. Yeah. And just grab and get you and then just uh, take you somewhere where your family wouldn't even know where where to go. Despite not having a warrant. And everything. So it was basically another an actual kidnapping in front of everybody. And they went to his school. Imagine the guts on these men. Exactly. And then they even have the records, the register, uh, the attendance records of Paco. Yeah, but it's, it is kind of weird that he he used to be one of Mary Joy's suitors. So that that's kind of the reason you were looking for previously, right? I guess so. That was, that's what ties him in. But was that proven from the looks of it? He, it seems like he barely knows the Chong family. Yeah, but he says he wasn't acquainted. But why would the family insist that he was one of Mary Joy's suitors if he wasn't? Exactly. Also, I have to say, uh, the Chong Seven is a sweet-ass name for a group. So, shout-outs to the media back in the day for putting that up. Yeah. <laughs> so... There was a revelation that these young men, most of whom came from well-to-do families, had records with the police for getting into trouble. Facing the camera, Paco admits his troublemaking streak, though it was not divulged the other crimes he might have been accused of. But that past allegation may be why he was also allegedly singled out by the NBI as a probable suspect. Paco had been accused of attempting to abduct a high school student from the University of San Carlos Girls High School. The evidence presented to the court was a letter dated September 25, 1996, addressed to the Student Affairs Office of University of San Carlos. The parents of the first year high school student complained that their daughter and two other friends were waiting for their ride home near the school campus when a black Honda Civic with five young male teenagers, including the driver, suddenly stopped beside them. One of the men was allegedly Paco, who was a college student in the same university at the time. He allegedly grabbed the girl by, the, by her hand and tried to force her into the vehicle. She resisted and got away from him. Sensing some people were watching what they were doing, they hurriedly sped away, the letter states. 
So that's why that's why Paco was the prime suspect because he he had a past of abducting girls. Yeah, I guess so. That, that this kind of makes sense, seeing that of his previous history and actually being. Uh, Who knows? It might have been the girl that ended up like the Chong sisters, I raped guess. and dead. Yeah. So, I guess the cops narrowed it down to being him being a previous suitor and having a, a really bad record of abduction. Yeah. Prior to this case. So that's that's a that's a bad that's a bad thing to do, Paco. Yeah, and they were a group of guys too. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if it's the same group though, or if it, it's with a different group. That we will see. Yeah, or we won't. Who knows? Who knows? This incident did not certainly help Paco's defense, but things only got worse ten months later, when a witness appeared. The prosecutor's case against Leranyaga centered on the testimony of a co-defendant, Davidson Valienta Rusia. In exchange for blanket immunity, Rusia claimed to be part of Paco's gang and testified that he met Adlawan at the mall, thinking that there would be a party at 10.30pm. He said they boarded a white car with Aznar. When they reached Archbishop Reyes Avenue, they grabbed Mary Joy and Jacqueline from the waiting shed and forced them into the car. These girls were brought to the so-called Josman Aznar Group safe house located in Guadalupe, Cebu City, after which they were brought to Tanawan where Paco and his gang allegedly drank and had a, had a pot session. According to Rusia, they took turns in raping the victims before pushing Mary Joy into the 150-meter deep ravine. Whoa. So first of all, it took him 10 months to testify. Yeah. That's a really long time. I wonder what he was doing. And he wasn't part of the original Chong 7. Mm, I guess there was a Chong 8 then. What? what? <laughs> he just decided to testify? Mm-hmm. Like, even if there wasn't anyone on his tail? That's kind of weird. It's kind of convenient, if you ask yeah. me. <laughs> And what what proof did he have except for his testimony? Did he give like like a piece of their clothing or something? I don't I don't seem to see that. Well, Paco had pictures and other testimonies too. Why is Rosia's testimony given more weight than thirty five people? Uh, I guess it was such of a losing case where the, any anybody who had like a, a shining light towards it towards the. Oppo- to the opposing side and weren't they picked up in like a wing of the mall why all of a sudden it was by the archbishop reyes avenue by by a waiting, the waiting sh- shed yeah it's very random <laughs> and i have to say um reading about the chong family i doubt that they'll just let their kids just wait by a waiting shed yeah they seem very powerful <laughs> and powerful they are Rusia never relayed what happened to Jacqueline, nor was he ever asked by the prosecution. The trial court only permitted Laraniaga's counsel to cross-examine Rusia for half an hour, despite the fact that Rusia's direct testimony lasted for days. In that half hour, Laraniaga's counsel established that Rusia had lied to, to the prosecution 
and the court concerning his prior convictions. While Lucia had claimed he had never been convicted of, of a crime, in fact, he had a record of burglary and forgery. Lucia fainted when confronted with this evidence. Davidson Lucia is a convicted felon who was a gang member and was sentenced to prison twice in the United States for other crimes. There were whispers that time that Lucia had been beaten into a forced confession. Other witnesses were said to be paid. Affidavits stating that they saw the van or the witnesses in places where the crime took place later on admitted that they didn't understand what they were signing. So, so she, Russia might have been coerced? 100%. And the other witnesses didn't even know what they were signing? Yep. Are Paco and the others really guilty beyond a reasonable doubt? I really can't say except for that he just has a record of abduction. That's it. Or, well, Russia has a record. No one's putting him in a in a microscope what more does Rusi have to gain i mean just by lying i mean he's already he's already a wanted fel- uh, wanted international felon so i guess the the cops might have sweetened up the deal for him just to be able to say stuff and he fainted when they were cross-examining him how convenient yeah somebody should give that guy an oscar <laughs> The verdict was passed on May 5, 1999 by Cebu Regional Trial Court Judge Martin Ocampo. He sentenced all accused of two life terms, while Lucia got away by virtue of his blanket immunity as star witness. Ocampo's reasoning was there was indeed kidnapping, but the murder can't be proven. He wasn't convinced that the body found was Mary Joyce. During the trial, Fingerprints were analyzed and said to have matched those of Mary Joy's voters' records. The defense, however, questioned the validity of this evidence. The police officers and prosecutors involved in the case were promoted shortly after. The Chongs were not happy. They had wanted a death sentence. On October 7, 1999, the Judge Ocampo's body was found lifeless in a room in Waterfront Hotel in Mactan. The judge left a suicide note explaining his feeling of hopelessness and loss of purpose. The Senate asked for a re-autopsy of the body and it was eventually declared to be suicide. Yet rumors persisted that Ocampo was murdered since the note was never analyzed and because there were reports that he may have been accompanied by a woman that night. Dum dum dum. Wow, seems like the Chong family is really powerful and they're able to get what they want. Exactly. And anybody who helped them get got promoted and anybody in their way seems to be in prison of death by suicide. I feel bad for the judge. Yeah, he didn't give them the sentencing that they want and the judge turns up dead. That's so fishy. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody found might not even be Mary Joyce. That's Crazy. Yeah, even the judge had to rule that. I off. mean, fingerprints can be compromised. The judge was right on that. Yeah. They should have done a DNA test. I'm sure. Sh- I'm sure they could have. I mean, it was 1997. You've you've had like DNA tests all over the the states by that time. That's so weird. Well, the press continuously presented Paco's family as very powerful politically. Cheryl Jimenea 
Thelma Chong's sister, was at the time the president Estrada's personal secretary, oh. and that Thelma, the victim's mother, also had connections to a Supreme Court judge. Wow. Paco's camp appealed to the Supreme Court on the grounds of mistrial, but it was a fruitless appeal. Paco wasn't even allowed to defend himself during the regional trial proceedings. Instead, the Supreme Court elevated their sentence to death penalty by lethal injection on February 3, 2004. James Uy was made an exception because he was a minor when the alleged crime was committed. They were also asked to pay the amounts of 100,000 as a civil indemnity, 25,000 pesos as temperate damages, and 150,000 pesos as moral damages, and 100,000 pesos as exemplary damages. Wow, so the Chong family always gets what they want. Yep. Dead judge, then death penalty. Wow, what a justice system. And all those connections too. Imagine, you're already sentenced to death, and then you're supposed to pay the people who sentenced you to death? That's Mm. crazy. (laughs) It's around like 400,000 plus. And this was 90s. Oh, well, 2000s. That's still a huge amount for 2000s. Not the factor in inflation. Yeah. Wow. What a powerful family. The media, though accused of sensationalizing the case, were also able to find leads that the police investigators had not. Journalist Leo Lastimosa says that Dionisio Chong, Mary Joy, and Jacqueline's father was a trusted cohort of someone who was under congressional investigation for drug trafficking. Dionisio managed the alleged drug lord's trucking business. Lastimosa mouthed the name of the drug lord, and though that's muted on screen, netizens were quick to read it as Peter Lim. Wow, the biggest drug lord in the Philippines. Still up to this date, that name still rings a bell. Dionisio was fired and he was set to testify against his former boss in front of the Congressional Committee on Dangerous Drugs. That's when his daughters went missing and he decided not to testify. Just recently, internet sleuths saw photos of Peter Lim attending the wedding of Debbie Chong, the youngest daughter of Dionisio and Thelma. Some of them went as far as to speculate that Debbie is actually Jacqueline, which explains the absence of a body. Lastimosa, the journalist, also claimed that the police officers who made the arrest worked as bodyguards for the unnamed businessman. Why didn't anyone look into this angle? He asked. Netizens who have watched the documentary also speculated that the families of the convicted boys were enemies of this businessman. This was probably why they were chosen as suspects. Ouch. So, their dad defied the biggest drug lord in the Philippines. Yep. <laughs> and they and now they're using his main enemy, the children of his main enemies as suspects. So blackmail and then they're they're like dominoing affecting it up by just yeah. taking out So Peter Lim was like, Oh you defied me, so I'm gonna take your daughters and I'm gonna pin this on my enemies. Mm-hmm. So. And that and that name dude, Peter Lim it's it's up to this day you still see it on the news yeah he got away mm-hmm. despite 
the our president naming him the biggest drug lord in the Philippines, when he got caught, he was released. And then he let he just gets let go. <laughs> Up to That's this how day. rich he is. This was two thousand four, right? Two thousand six, yeah. two thousand seven. And those random guys that had expired IDs, they were all his bodyguards? Mm. That's crazy. <laughs> I kind of feel bad for the dad in some way. Yeah, I guess so. He was being blackmailed. And then now you have to invite him to your daughter's wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and also, let's not forget that people are suspecting that Debbie is actually the missing sister, Jacqueline. Yeah, that's kind of a stretch though. <laughs> for you? I yeah, mean, for like, me, it kind of is. Okay. You can't fake you can't fake a life that far. Yeah. Down. Okay. I gotta <laughs> hand it up to you. But hands down, good job on the netizens for doing that. Yeah, and good job to this Lastimosa guy. Uh huh. The journalist. He's doing his job right. Do it. Do it right. Do it tight. Whether these rumors and speculations had any validity. What most people agree on is that the investigation and resulting trials were not properly handled. Paco's family's recourse was now to ask help from the government of Spain, since Paco was a dual citizen of Spain and the Philippines. The media and various justice groups in Spain and throughout the European Union heard the Laranaga's plea and lobbied for the country to acknowledge a mistrial, hoping that Paco would be granted would be granted a pardon. Even the king of Spain appealed for Paco's sake. Wow. Rock star Martin Gore of Depeche Mode also took notice and led calls for justice on June 24, 2006. Like a little literal rock star. Yeah, it's like oh. Bono That's cool. comes to save you out save of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> on June 24, 2006. The Chong Seven had a stroke of luck. On this day, under the term of Gloria Macabagal Arroyo, GMA, a devout Catholic, capital punishment was abolished. On December 3, 2007, Spanish Foreign Minister Miguel Angel Moratinos expressed his wish to have Paco transferred to Spain when the Treaty on the Transfer of Sentenced Persons is en enacted. This treaty would allow convicted persons to return to their home country and spend their sentences there. The media and various justice groups in Spain and throughout the European Union heard the Laranaga's plea and lobbied for the country to acknowledge a mistrial. Finally, in September 2009, the Department of Justice approved Paco's transfer to a Spanish prison. Paco left for Spain on October 6, 2009 and was brought to the, Mad to the Madrid Central Penitentiary at Soto del Real. He was classified as a third-degree prisoner, the least dangerous in the Spanish prison system. Four years later, Paco was moved to a second-grade prison in Marchutin, San Sebastian, where he was granted special licenses for his education and work. It's sad that we have to look for other countries to give justice to our citizens. 
At least the sentences were downgraded to life imprisonment, and Paco was lucky enough. Yeah, to he's be a very Spanish lucky. Citizen. I mean, if that happened right now, he'd be he'd be practically dead. Not even by lethal injection. He'd be like shot. He'd be like shot. Yeah, wherever. or probably beat up until beat beat up into a pulp mm-hmm. in prison. And then they would never hear from him again. I feel bad for the other suspects, though. I mean, Paco had his justice. Mm-hmm. But Paco, the rock star. Yeah. And it pays to have money in the Philippines, that's for sure. It also pays to be a dual citizen. Yeah. You should tell your lolo. <laughs> <laughs> Paco, after stopping his education at the Center for Culinary Arts when the investigations began, now works part-time as a chef at a restaurant near his quarters. Under the Spanish Constitution of 1978, prisoners have the right to paid employment. Paco's family is happy that he can finally fulfill his dream of being a chef. However, he is still a prisoner because he has to return to his cell every night. Not to mention all those years wasted in jail and fighting the media. And a justice system that seemed hell-bent on crucifying him. Paco had been lucky to be a dual citizen, to avail of the treaty. He may be living in the better prison conditions, but the rest of the Chong Seven are not. True that. They are still in the Philippines and serving sentences for crimes they may or may not have had a hand in. On August 30, 2019, Josman Aznar, Ariel Balansag, Albert Cano, and James Anthony Uy were released. But upon hearing this, the parents of the Chong sisters appealed to President Duterte to return the convicts to prison. On September 18, on September 18, all four of the men who were released by virtue of the controversial Good Conduct Time Allowance Law surrendered to authorities. That's sad. Yeah, it sucks. It's like they just gave them a taste of freedom. And then they just get back in. Mm-hmm. As for Rusia, some say he went back to Bohol and that he's still in touch with the Chongs who treat him as family for being their star witness and savior during the trial. And what about the Chongs? Did Jacqueline really come home? Is there any truth to the rumor that both sisters are actually alive and hiding in another part of the world? There was only one body found, and apparently, when the girl's brother went to identify her, he did not think it was his sister. Her hair had been shorter, and there was a noticeable difference in height. However, No formal identification was ever made, nor any DNA tests conducted. Whatever the truth may be about the crime, the only undeniable thing 20 years later is that there was gross incompetence at work. At the trial, the need for hard evidence was ignored, and nobody thought to cross-check the testimonies. Many lives, and not just Paco's or the Chong's families, were changed irredeemably. And we can't help but wonder if this is what happens to cases involving people who come from rich, well-connected families. What happens to the rest of us? We'd like to credit Patricia Baez from Spot PH for today's episode. Be sure to tune in in two weeks for the next episode of Praning. Now let us ask, Na praning ka ba?